a yellow raincoat, a red handbag, and a whole lot of dirty H2O. It's dark water. Kind of all this is pretty close. If it was a red balloon, it would just be it. It would be it, <laughs> <laughs> except it's a red purse slash handbag yeah. slash toy compartment, whatever that may be. Yeah. What would you call that, Alex? Uh, it's just a bag, it's just a little a bag, uh, yeah, it's, it's just a little, little kid's bag. bag, yeah. I got you. Welcome back to the Monsters vs. Men <laughs> podcast, the bargain basement of monster podcasting airwaves. This week, as we try to stay alive. We're discussing handbags. No, we're yep. discussing Dark Water. <laughs> 2003 Dark Water, the original Dark Water, not the American version. Right, Alex? You didn't, or did you, what, did you watch the American version? Is Jennifer Connelly not in the Japanese version? No, she's not in the Japanese oh, version. Oh, no, I Alex. watched the wrong one. Oh, dang. I, th- I thought that <laughs> might be the case. <laughs> uh, but, Alex, um, we did get some feedback, uh, some oh. listener feedback from a recent episode, uh, you know, from um, I'm not Constantine. Uh, <laughs> just <laughs> from kidding. Constantine on Twitter. Um, he was he just listened to our Goke Body Snatcher from Hell episode. And he says this. He says, Goke Body Snatcher from Hell was Shochiko's English export title for the movie. The original Japanese title was Vampire Gokemidoro. When it was eventually released in the U.S. in 1977, the title was truncated to Body Snatcher from Hell. The Brazilian and German yes, titles... that's so much shorter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, the, the Brazilian and German titles were what you suggested. Go, Goke the Vampire of Space and Goke Vampire from Outer Space, respectively. Oh, awesome. Which I thought was interesting. Yeah, so... Yeah. I got a similar message from Kyoe who told me um, that it was the vampire, uh, that it was actually that vampire one that you mentioned from Japan, but I was not told that my title was actually used. So you're welcome uh, <laughs> in the 70s, uh, Brazil and other place. Yeah, you're welcome. And he also corrected us. Philip Kaufman directed the 1978 Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Oh, wow. That's embarrassing. Oh, yeah, I'm slightly. thinking of Close Encounters of the Third Kind, aren't I? Yes, you are. Yep, uh-huh. I am. <laughs> yep. Good. Cool. That was all the listener feedback. I feel great shame about that right now. Like, I normally don't care when I get corrected, but that was like... Yeah, that was... That that's a pretty big best. miss from... Ooh. Uh, no, we were just thinking of a different movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks, Constantino. No, I'm not going to be self-conscious about this now. Oh, yeah. No, no, no but thanks gonna... for writing in. We, we like having corrections. It's fun. Yeah, honestly. Seriously. Uh, we like those corrections. If we don't have corrections, what are we doing, Alex? That's right. We're definitely not doing the show right. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's get into Dark Water then, shall we? So that we can be corrected some more. Oh, let's. let's. <laughs> Last week, we explored Hideo Nakata's Ringu, based on the novel by Koji Suzuku. Suzuki. This week, we return to Nakata and Suzuki with Dark Water. 
Because we've got the same director and the same novelist for both of these films, Alex, to start the conversation off, I'm wondering what are some of the comparisons you made between this one and Ringu? Yeah, I mean, if I needed to compare these films, and, you know, comparing them might get a little hairy. Um, <laughs> you know, this, these two films in the sub subgenre of angry kid ghost demon thing, um, I would say... Did you just hear my dog snore? Did you hear that? I did not. It sounded like a low roar. Um, but, you know, both of these films, they do have a slower pace. Um, and tonally, they at least attempted to have, like, this pervading sense of dread. Um, and, they, you know, they attempted something pretty similar in that in that regard. And then the big cap off at the end and the not-so-happy, kind of happy ending mm-hmm. uh, is in both of them. But... That being said, I don't want to compare them. Well, I can't help but compare them a little bit. So I will probably muddy the water. Um, (laughs) So (laughs) so there's a reason why uh, Rangu is more popular. And that's because... Ragu. Yeah, Ragu. You're right. (laughs) That's why Ragu is more popular. (laughs) And that's because it's better than Chef Boardi. Um, so Ragu is more popular because it's better than, uh, dark water. I'm just gonna go ahead and say it. Hideo Nakata showed us in Ringu that he was a master of tone, but this film gets lost in its first hour. Mm. So little happens and there's just so little tenseness that I think a lot of it is lost in the film it's just really not that interesting in the first hour like there's some highlights in there for sure but overall it is kind of weak and you could easily i think you could easily shave 20 minutes off this movie and you'd be fine um that being said the final act is pretty good and the horror elements throughout are all pretty successful um they do bring a sense of dread it just doesn't pervade through the film quite like it does in the ring. Yeah. But how about you? Is this film a success for Nakata? Well, I didn't know I should be scared of tap water before this film, but it <laughs> seems pretty scary after watching this. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Alex, if we, if we still have listeners after our jokes from that, from that first point that you just made, I'm thankful for any listeners that stuck <laughs> around. And I will just say that Nakata <laughs> seems to be a maestro at the slow build. Like Ringu, Dark Water is not about the jump scares, but about the tension to get us to those big moments. Honestly, I'm like you, though. I wasn't engaged in the first hour of this film as much as I wanted to be. Unlike Ringu, where I was scared from that opening scene on, right? Or I at least felt that sense of dread from that opening scene on. But the last 30 minutes of this one, it was actually more powerful to me than Ringu even. To me, Ringu's uh, ending is interesting, unsettling, and thought-provoking. But Ringu is stronger in how it builds that constant dread. Uh, Whereas in Dark Water, we get that dread, but I didn't always buy into it. I think there's a couple reasons for that. It does have that slower pace. I don't think the uh, direction is as strong as it could be, especially when it comes to those elevator scenes. Like, I think the elevator scenes have the potential to be the scariest. And, you know, like the the footage 
mm-hmm. like you know the camera footage those have the the potential to be incredibly scary yeah. right and there's just another comparison between the two in terms of directing style like we have kind of um this footage that we can look at but we don't get that much in dark water to be scared about um I'm not ever really scared of the little girl, right? Uh, I'm more scared about the entire circumstances surrounding this woman and this dark water that is surrounding her. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm like, man, we really need to get this fixed. <laughs> That's the lingering sense of dread that I have is that that place on the ceiling does not look good. <laughs> no, no. And it's, in, you know, I feel like, there's just a big leak with the, yeah. the with the first hour of the film. But <laughs> that, yeah, that was terrible. That was terrible. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, man. Uh, it just came out of nowhere, Alex. Uh, yeah, yeah, but but maybe it was because I was questioning the mother at times, which I don't know. I should have been, but. I kept on finding some of her choices that she was making to be rather odd. And I didn't want to question the mother's motives. I don't think that was the point. Um, Yoshima, that is. I, I don't think we meant to. We were meant to be questioning Yoshima too much. I don't think that's what Nakata was wanting us to take away. But for some reason, I kept on questioning her. But at the same time, feeling sorry for her in her position. So maybe that's exactly what Nakata did want us to do, is kind of be in this tension. What do you think? Yeah, you know, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Um, I never really questioned the mother, though, on this one. Um, This is one of the few things that I didn't... It is actually a problem with the film because I don't question her. Uh, Mm. Because, you know, yeah, she picks up her her daughter late, but she does have a lot on her plate. She does need to be more responsible on her end, but... They do do these things. So I didn't really question her sanity in the film. Despite the film setting like that aspect of it up, it never delivered or made me paranoid in that way. Like I never doubted that the ghost was real. Uh, So it felt like that was really the big waste of the runtime right there because they keep setting up that she's like maybe mentally unstable, um, that maybe she doesn't have a complete grip on a reality. But then when it comes to the actual ghost story that she's involved in, I never doubt it. Hmm. I'm like, yeah, the ghost is real. I don't doubt it one bit. And then when we get, you know, for Ring, we mentioned that how hard it must have been to not overact in that film, right? Right. Unfortunately, this film falls victim to that. Hmm. Uh, It's got these weird choices in it. For instance, there's a moment in particular that, really rears its head in my mind whenever I think mm-hmm. of this movie. There's this moment where uh, the mom, she goes up st- she goes up to the roof, and she has that flash of knowing what happened to the ghost, or to the, the young girl, and what turned her into the ghost. Apparently falling into a, a water will do that to you. Um, and so the kid falls in there, and she realizes, oh no, whatever. It's a ghost thing. And she runs downstairs to go check on her daughter, who she just left with that bag that she just threw on the ground. Um, But we just don't ever see it again for some reason in the movie. And she goes to check on her, and she doesn't see her. And instead of 
scurrying to every room like any parent would trying to mm-hmm. find their kid. Mm-hmm. She just slowly, she just stands there. And then she just hears a drop of water and slowly turns around, bumps into, I think, every wall on the way over there. And I was, it, I, I didn't have a lot of time to watch this movie, so I had to watch a little bit of it in my car. I was actually screaming at my phone, just go, just go. I couldn't believe what was happening. It was so slow. It felt like five minutes of her just like (laughs) staring. It didn't help that you were weaving in and out of traffic. Exactly, exactly. (laughs) And so she's like bumping into these walls as her, she knows that this child is at risk from this weird ghost thing. Mm. And it's infuriating. It was yeah. completely infuriating. So that's really my last criticism of the film, actually, though. Uh, but I, before I do give the film some props, do you mm. have anything else that you really wanted to hit on? Mm. So let's just rag on it some more, shall we? <laughs> uh, <clears throat> but yeah, no, uh, honestly, though, to, to ca- kind of counter your point just a little bit, I, I do think we have reasons to question the sanity of the mother. Um, I really do. Like, there's even a point where I was questioning, like, wait, is this is this daughter even real? There was so much surrounding the daughter, right? Um, like, like, what's up with the daughter and this relationship? There's the scene where, like, the mother seems to be holding on to the daughter's hand in the elevator right at the beginning. Yeah. But then we see that the daughter has already left and already like went ahead, but she's still, her hand is still in that position of holding somebody's hand. Yes. I'm like, that's odd. <laughs> right. Um, and I think even the, like the landlord there question it is like, what, what's going on here? But Why he also sees the little there? head poke up and he's like, what is that? Yeah, exactly. Right. Um, and so we get those things where it's like, huh, not, nothing's quite right here. The situation's not right, of course, but also she doesn't feel quite right. And so maybe, you know, my reaction to her is what Nakata was trying to do, but didn't actually work for you in that I didn't always trust the mother and I was questioning the mother at times. But my only other criticism of the film is that for me, it felt somewhat predictable. And this might be because mm-hmm. we're just fresh off Ringu and we knew this director and we knew this this author's plot beats. But as soon as I saw that water source on the roof, yeah. I knew immediately what had taken place. Yeah. And that Yoshima would somehow have to satisfy the spirit of Mitsuku to end whatever this curse was, right? right. Um, so it's it just, I knew that was going to happen. And that, that I'm sure lots of people did. So I'm not, I, I don't think it was special on my end. I think that was just, it felt kind of obvious, right? Um, but yeah, let's let's be done with the bashing, and I, I want to talk about some of the aspects I did like. I did like the slow build, even if I wasn't as engaged as I was with Ringu, because I think the character development is awesome. Um, it's a good thing in a sense that I questioned the mother because it made the whole thing more interesting for me. I also found the tie-ins between Yoshima's own past and her present situation pretty fascinating. For me, the real horror of this film isn't the ghost child. It's the reality of taking care of another human life and how difficult that can be, how debilitating that could be, especially if you're an anxious single parent dealing with insecurities from your own childhood. (laughs) 
It's pretty terrifying. I also found the society surrounding Yoshima to be soul-crushing. She was never believed, never trusted, and treated as someone to be avoided because of her single mother status and her divorcee status. But now I want to get to the end of the film, which I thought was fantastic. What did you make of the ending, starting with that elevator scene and onward? Yeah, I mean, the the elevator scene is really great. And despite my mentions of overacting earlier, these scenes do not have that. Um, both actresses do a great job selling the dread of the little girl and the sadness of the mother. Um, but also, you know, that protectiveness that she had um, for her daughter and her, you know, the, the sadness of having to sacrifice herself like that. I like that there are so few words between them in these moments. And it's very clear that just their facial expressions alone convey enough meaning towards each to each other that they both kind of understand. Mm. Um, and I really think that that's impressive and it kind of makes the earlier moments of bad acting worse mm. um, because this is so good. And also I like the time jump scenes as well. I was surprised yeah. by the time jump. Um, adult Iku, Ikuko mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, was really well acted. I thought she was great and her moments with her mom or, really poignant as well. Uh, I think they both act really well in those scenes. And I like that her mom does come off as a little bit creepy, but um, yeah. also kind of warm towards her daughter. Warm and caring. and yes. Yeah, it's, it's very complicated. Right? Yeah, it is. It is. And I like that the, uh, I did like that the, the creepy little girl was just standing in the background, oh, kind of yeah. like a hall monitor. Of course. (laughs) (laughs) And I think the ending is just really well executed. I just wish that everything else hit like that did. Yeah, no, I get that. So for me, I think the elevator scene in particular transcends what we've seen so far in this J-Horror series. More than, um, I don't want to call her Chunk because I can't remember her name, but the floating head of Chunk biting the girl in the butt. (laughs) More than that, yeah. Chunk, I know uh, Chunk is from Goonies, but I can't. Re- <laughs> she was the equivalent in this movie, in that movie. Uh, what was what was her name? Oh man, uh, it was insulting. Whatever it was, just like Chunk. <laughs> <laughs> I think Chunk might be worse, but <laughs> yeah. I mean, for me, this really is the standout scene, and a scene that I'm going to remember. Probably the scene I'm going to remember from Dark Water. Uh, and it starts with the fact that I love the the slow build when the door opens and she's on the elevator and we're just waiting for the the girl in the uh, yellow raincoat to step out. But that's not who steps out. Yeah, it's Kuko who stands out. And you're like, oh my goodness gracious! <laughs> and then we do get the scariest moment of the entire movie, in my opinion, with the the reveal. Right? Yes. Um, which was pretty creepy. I'm like, oh my gosh. Uh, I did not see that happening right there in that moment. But then we get that acting, as you said, that really made this feel like a mother-daughter relationship that had real consequences for the decisions that this mother is about to make. And you're right. So much happens not in the words between the two, but just in those facial expressions. Just in 
the decision, the embrace. She realizes the mother, uh, Yoshima, realizes in that moment that she needs to, just like we saw in Ringu, embrace that which has been neglected. It's a powerful moment. And I would say even more powerful here just because of the stakes involved. In order, I mean, I guess the implication here, you know, is that she's going to now end her own life in order to be with this new daughter that she's adopting, right? That's pretty depressing as well. Um, But it's the only thing maybe she feels like that she can do in order to save her daughter um, and give her daughter a life separated from her, which also makes me think like, she has she's had her own doubts it's kind of a sad conclusion because the mother has had her own doubts about herself she's felt insecure about her own mothering i feel like and here she's making this choice to push her daughter out of her life and she feels like that's the best choice for her daughter but it's also just a sad choice yeah when <laughs> you could have just moved out choice. yeah you could have just moved out <laughs> potentially uh they tried they tried uh, to be fair. Yeah. They did? It did? Yeah, they tried to move, or they were going to move out, and then the lawyers came in and were like, no, you guys are just paranoid, right? Um, we need to fix this thing, this thing, and this thing. But then no one else is around. Like, that's that's the kind of the interesting piece is it feels like they're almost stuck in this cycle. Um, so I, I think there is a metaphysical aspect there that you can consider. I don't think they, I guess they could move out. They could try to move out but my guess is they would somehow get stuck in this loop of this terror once again, somehow, but maybe not. And then there's the coda, as you mentioned, where Akuko gets that closure, kind of that conversation, which I just thought really worked to round off the story um, and provide us an ending similar to Ringu, where we get a little bit of satisfaction, but we also feel that sadness, I think. Um, and we just hope that the cycle doesn't continue. Right. Right. Um, it's interesting. I really liked it. The ending hit me harder than I thought it would. So that, that stepped it up a level for me after I had admittedly written the film, not off completely, but I had just been like, ah, this isn't quite Ringu, right? This isn't up there. Um, I don't think it is Ringu to be fair but it gets closer because of that last 30 minutes. Yeah, uh, I agree. It it does elevate a, what for me was a little bit of a weak movie Mm -hmm. when that, that last 30 makes it a lot more memorable and (laughs) exciting to look back on. Agreed. Agreed. Well, Hey, MVM plus today over at patreon.com forward slash MVM a pod you can find our bonus episode our mvm plus we bring one of our executive producers Faye, on board to talk about her gamera series on her podcast they just finished watching the show of gamera movies alex and Faye was not impressed we're just not impressed so we're just gonna sell her on how great super monster actually is we are going to sell her on how great show of gamera is alex okay okay (laughs) we'll see I, I, I doubt that we will win any sort of argument in that regard, but maybe we, maybe, maybe we can make a, a couple of points um, to rest our case. There we go. <laughs> uh, well, let's get into our awards then, Alex, shall we? Let's do it. All right. Coolest character award, who'd you have? 
I have to give it to Hitomi, the mom. I think she she sacrifices herself for her kid, which is pretty admirable. And, yeah. you know, her character in general is, you know, she's not a bad character. Uh, it's really just kind of, but really it's the sacrifice that does it for me. Everyone yeah. else is really like, there's actually one character I, I did like, and I think it's your coolest character. Oh, there we go. Well, by the way, Hitomi Kuroki plays Yoshimi, the mom. Oh, sorry, Yoshimi. I got yeah. confused. Mish- You're Yoshimi. good. But yeah, my coolest character, Alex, is the lawyer that represents Yoshimi. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, because he's the only one that takes her seriously, and he's the only one that cares about her. Uh, as I said, I question the mother at times. So for me, it was weird to put her as the coolest character. So I went to the person that actually did believe in her and trusted her and took action. Like, you know, going over to the apartment and being like, yeah, this is not right. Let's talk to these people and get them here. Of course, they listen when the lawyer guy shows up um, to tell them what they're doing wrong. They're not going to listen to the mother. Uh, they listen to the lawyer, which is sad. Again, it's just showing you the social situation that Yoshimi is in. Yeah. But I did like that the lawyer came to this place um, to provide this help. It shows you that there is maybe some goodness out there. Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, I think you're probably right about the social situation. I do think uh, I could be speaking out of turn. And feel free to write in and correct me about this. But I do think women in general are, especially single women in Japan, are kind of looked down upon. uh, Maybe even more so back then than now. It's what it seems like. I mean, honestly, that's that's what it feels like in this film. I don't think it's just single. I don't think it's the singleness. I also think it's probably the divorcee aspect of her story as well right um with that said i mean i'm i'm glad that we got that angle i don't know if we needed as much of that angle sometimes it felt a little bit over the top that's what that that whole angle is what really hurt the film for me because i think it's so uninteresting Ah. um I, i i like the general idea of it but when you have a scary ghost girl that you're going to be get, be going to get ready to see, the the lawyer moments aren't really that interesting to me. Mm, mm. Yeah, I, I can like see the that, character. I just I don't know. I, don't I feel know. like we I, go there too many times. I think we. I think it's just a little bit on the nose. But I I, I like the character building uh, of it. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I I'm, I'm torn a little bit. I think it it adds to it. But I think it's maybe a little too much at times. So, like, we could take away 10 minutes of this film and have the same movie and maybe even be a little bit more subtle in our thematics and we'd be fine. Yeah. Maybe. Uh, you know, <laughs> maybe, I, think, maybe. I think you could be right. Uh, most memorable line award, though. What'd you have? Honestly, I didn't think there were that many good lines. Um, <laughs> but I did like the line at the end of the film where she's like, you know, she realized it's clear that she's like been traumatized by what happened. I mean, mm-hmm. she's young, but oh, yeah. also a five year old would remember something like this. But yeah. she's traumatized by it, so she's kind of blocked it out. But she starts. It's clear that she kind of remembers what what's happened, um, as she remembers more and more of the conversations they've had. She starts yeah. re- re- uh, referencing those conversations, mm-hmm. and she says that you know she realizes that her mom is actually watching over her. And I mean, that's, that was her choice to do, right? Is to give up herself to essentially 
watch over her and keep her safe. Yeah. Hmm. That's a good one. Um, yeah, that entire conversation was strong. I felt like mine is, uh, when Yoshimi tells ghost girl, I am your mother. Oh yeah. The, the, the Japanese equivalent to I am your father. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, no, because it's just an interesting contrast between just moments before when she's screaming in terror, I'm not your mother, I'm not your mother. But then as her daughter comes closer, her actual daughter comes closer, mm-hmm. and she realizes the only thing she can do to save her daughter is to embrace this other daughter, the tune completely changes um, to I am your mother, and there is that embrace. There's something complex there. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. So many emotions there. That it, that's I think that's what makes it a powerful moment, and that's what makes the ending so powerful too. Is there's just so much context, and so that's why, like, despite the first hour of the film being not quite as enjoyable for me as the last thirty minutes, it's almost like you need that first hour of that film in order to build up that context. So that's why I'm split a little bit. Slow your roll over there. Okay. okay. (laughs) (laughs) What about your can't believe that acting award? Uh, I can't give it to uh, young Ikuko. Uh, Rio Mm. Kano, I believe, is the actress. Uh, For one moment in particular. (laughs) Actually, I think she does really good in the the finale. Um, But there is a moment where she... It's the last time that she has the red bag uh-huh. and she's opening it. She looks absolutely terrifying. Like the, this face that she's making while she's looking into it. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I was wondering if she was like in that moment possessed or not. Mm. And I don't think she actually was yeah. looking back on what happens next. But in that moment, I thought it was pretty cool. So I'll give her credit for, I guess, probably not acting correctly in that moment. But. <laughs> I thought it was really effective for me because it's <laughs> terrifying. And it could also be her mom's point of view of what's happening, too. I don't That's know. That's true. That's true. That's valid. Um, I, I'm going to choose Rio Kano as young Akuko as well. Uh, oh. There are a couple of moments I would question with her acting earlier on, I think. Um, maybe not, though. I don't know. I can't think of anything specifically, so that may be harsh on her. But. The ending, I'm going to go with a different moment than yours, and I'm going to go with the ending. Just that tearful look that she's giving, mm. I'm like, oh my gosh, like you're crushing me right now. Yeah. Uh, she was killing it. Like, it just felt so real. I'm like, what did you tell her? Yeah, right. <laughs> what did you tell her to produce these emotions right now? Because this is this is real. Um, mm-hmm. so that was that was fantastic and it really sold that ending without that performance you don't have that same ending yeah it, you know what I was also impressed by um, old Ikuko I thought oh, the yeah. actress did a really good job with her and made and sold me on her being Ikuko in just oh, the few minutes that she's 100%, on screen 100% and, and yeah you knew immediately when she stepped out of the bus that that was her you did, too, you did. Which, was, which was interesting you know because she wasn't the only one that did step out but you just knew partially the camera but also just the presence like you knew immediately that that was her and so that was really interesting um and she was she was great in this sort of like once again having this complex reaction to her mother 
um, having that lingering moment at the kindergarten when she, where she watches the girl um, wait for her own mother. Right. Moral of the story, don't leave your daughter at kindergarten too long. <laughs> and if you do, don't live somewhere haunted. <laughs> true, true. Um, what about your standout effect award? Eric, real quick, before we get into standout effect award, this is a conversation we actually had on 13th floor recently. Mm-hmm. If you Now, I think you and me, we both don't believe in ghosts, right? Yeah, right. Okay. So... If you lived somewhere and you walk out of the room and like you walk back in and all the cabinets are open and there's mm-hmm. like literally no explanation for it. Yeah. And you had like maybe another experience that was like definitely like you had no doubt in your mind that the place was actually haunted. Uh-huh. Would you jet out of there? Like, yeah, probably. I would. I would too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, I, went, I went down it for a moment. I'd be like, I don't care what kind of loss I got to take on this place. I'm out. See ya. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's always the issue in these haunted house. But you know what? I think we tell ourselves that. But I think the thing that we often forget is that we will justify and convince ourselves that what we just saw wasn't true, right? Um, mm. I don't know. We go to extreme lengths to make situations convenient for us, for us, for ourselves. So... I don't know. I, I'd have to be in that situation, but I wouldn't be surprised if I convinced myself that I was crazy or doing or just seeing things or I'd forget about it. Um, I don't know. Maybe, maybe not though. And and that's why you now live with a ghost girl in the water. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> all right. My so family yes. is all fake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. So standout effect award. Standout effect award. Um, I'm going to go with a very simple but absolutely disgusting effect, and that is the hair that comes out in the water. Mm. It's a very strong image. It's very disgusting, <laughs> and it made me like, kind of want to gag a little bit. Well, <laughs> I just wanted to gag looking at the tap water in general because I knew what what was happening. Yeah, right? I did I too. Like, oh, so I had a similar effect watching this, Eric. I didn't mention mm-hmm. it earlier. Mm-hmm. But I felt like I'd seen this before. And I know I haven't seen this movie before. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really did feel like I had seen this before. Have you seen Dark Water or part of like the American one? That's what it made me start questioning on whether I've seen it or not. But from what I've read, I don't think I have. <laughs> and But this does play very similar to a story that happened over in L.A. where... A girl fell into a thing, and her body like got decomposed, and everyone was showering in it and drinking it, and then they found out. It was a whole thing. It was a big urban That's legend cool. for a while. Um, it actually happened, but people added ghost elements to it. That's, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Ooh. Maybe that's, that's probably what you were thinking about. Maybe, because, <laughs> I mean, it's very similar to this. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, my standout effect was the water seeping out of raincoat ghost's feet as it made its way to a cuckoo who is hiding under the table at her kindergarten. It's such a good moment. Oh, yeah. It's great, right? And it's like, I'm not quite sure how they did that, but I like the creativity there, and it makes me pretty terrified for this girl in this moment. Well, what they probably did was they probably piped a hose into the back of her legs uh-huh. and just 
ran the hose and the water came out. Yeah, probably. <laughs> that's probably. But that actually leads to my oh that's a good shot award, which mm-hmm. is the water seeping out of the rain <laughs> out, out of the nice. out of those boots because what I really like about this director is he is so great at showing restraint. Mhm. You could have easily made made this lead to a jump scare, right? This, yeah. It was so easy. This was such an easy jump scare, but no. He shows restraint and he makes it a memorable moment because he does that. Yeah. Yeah. He makes the one jump scare even more memorable, which is, you know, the reveal in the elevator. Yeah. The and end. you know it's coming. I mean, yeah. you know, you're like, I'm going to see this dang thing. I'm going to see it. Yep. <laughs> yep. Exactly. Exactly. And it still made me jump. I'm <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, so that was impressive. Like when you know it's coming and it still makes you jump. It's a pretty good jump scare. Uh, but my, oh, that's a good shot award is not so subtle and it's not so restrained. It's when uh, Ikuko is sitting in front of the elevator at the end and the elevator opens up and the water just pours out. Oh, Japanese um, shining. Really cool. Yeah, yeah. Really cool. <laughs> but just how it's framed, how she's centered there and then how the water just it could have been a standout effect award as well, but it kind of blends a cool effect with a really cool shot. So that was my, oh, that's a good shot award. I think it's a good one. As soon as I saw that, I was like, it, I thought I was like, that looks like The Shining. Yeah, it did. It did for sure. Well, let's move into our rating, Alex. Uh, do you want to start? You want me to start this time? Uh, I'll start. All right, go ahead. Yeah, so you and me, we've already talked about it. We really like the ending to this film. It's great. Unfortunately for me, the first hour, while the horror elements I think are great, I don't feel that pervading tension and that pervading sense of dread that I would expect from a horror movie. Um, And I definitely got out of ring. And maybe maybe that's not a great expectation, but I did get a little bored, which... Is as everyone that listens to this podcast knows, that's a big mark against the movie for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I did get bored, and but that being said, there's a lot to re- uh, I like about this film. I wish the overacting wasn't in those tense moments before the finale, which really hurts it. But there's some really awesome moments where the director holds back and he doesn't go full tilt horror in a just uh, a way that is just too easy to do. And it, honestly, I don't think it's a very smart way to do a lot of times. Yeah. And so I want to give this one, I want to give it a three out of five. Um, I know I've bashed on it a lot, but there's a lot to like here. I do think anyone that is a fan of the genre would probably get something out of it, which is, you know, more than a lot of movies. Mm. <laughs> It's, uh, yeah, that, I think that's a little harsh for I, I me, think, Alex. Yeah, I think this is this is my least favorite of our horror series too. Mm. I think that's a little harsh uh, for me. Uh, I'm going to give it a three point five out of five, um, which isn't incredibly high, but not incredibly low. It's a half a star below. It's review. a little harsh. It's a yeah. half a star different. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for you, I, I feel like you rate films generally higher than I do. You're right. So You're right. Uh, it, it feels a little harsh from you. But with that said, the reason that it, it rises to that 3.5 level, I was with you. I'm like, I'm thinking this is a three-star film. 
as I watched the first hour. Um, because I am not, I'm not as engaged as I want to be. I, I like the elements. I like the allegorical elements of the horror, but I'm never spooked. Um, I'm never scared myself, uh, except for just the adulting aspect of the film. <laughs> that I'm like, this is just adding more stress to my life that I don't need. Um, besides that, I was never spooked by the supernatural elements of the film, really, until that final 30 minutes. And then the supernatural elements became pretty necessary at selling me. Um, and that elevator scene and the final conversation scene really made this film for me. And it made me reconsider what I thought of the slow pacing and the character build, even of the first hour. So I'm on board with Dark Water. I definitely would recommend it to anybody that's a J-horror fan. If you've already seen Dark Water and you like Dark Water and you want to check out another uh, horror film along the same lines, I would check out The Babadook. Um, it deals with some of the same themes uh, that Dark Water does, but it might even be scarier <laughs> than Dark Water. I would say it, yeah. it is scarier than Dark Water. So I like Babadook, Babadook more. Yeah, Babadook. Yeah, it's 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 scarier, and there's a, there's definitely a sense of dread in Babadook for sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, Alex. Well, next week we start our patron choice month. Uh, I, I'm excited for that. Next week we're we're gonna start with Phase Choice, which is Frankenstein Conquers the World. Oh, Frankenstein wow. Conquers the World, a Toho classic. We never back. covered Frankenstein Conquers the World. And um, War of the Gargantuas. Is that what it's called? Yeah. So we never covered those in our Toho series. So we'll be going back to cover those. We'll also have a pick from our other executive producer, Michael. Um, And then we also have an open spot for a patron vote. So we'll be doing that here in the month of November. Unless we decide, Alex, that we want to extend our J-Horror series by one more week and add one more film. I'm mm. not sure yet. I'm not sure. We'll have to talk about it. We'll, yeah, talk, we'll about talk about it. We'll talk about it uh, on MVM Plus with Faye uh, to get her her thoughts about the series. Okay. Cool. Okay. Well, you, you said this is Frankenstein, is Frankenstein Conquers the World? Yeah. And this is... Be- this. Yeah, Frankenstein Conquers the World is before War of the Gargantuas, right? Right. right. Yeah. yeah. So we may ha- we may do War of the Gargantuas um, if that's the case maybe in soon. November as well. Yeah, maybe sooner than later. Yeah, exactly. Mm. And then, of course, we do have uh, a couple of special episodes coming up in December uh, that listeners will find out about pretty shortly now. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And do you think Frankenstein Conquers the World will make this one of a twirl? We'll do what? Make us want to twirl. <laughs> Make us want to twirl? Is that your rhyme? Yes. Because it didn't rhyme. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Twirl, whirl. You tell me that didn't rhyme? It was rough. Fake news. Fake news. It was rough. As always, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at MVM underscore pod. You can email us at MVMPod at gmail.com or leave us feedback at MVMPod.com. Support us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash MVM pod and receive weekly bonus off the cuff episodes and 
over at MVM Plus today, you'll find out what we are for sure doing next week because we need to discuss that, Alex. <laughs> yes. And if you feel so led, leave us a review on iTunes. Those reviews really do help. Monsters vs. Men is produced by Alex Cornette. Executive producers are Faye Basier and Michael Herndon. Special thanks to our wives, comma, Rock Band for PlayStation 3, Senior Honda, Drew the Collector, our Instagram connector, and you, the listener, for listening. Until next week, try to stay alive. So, Eric, would you say that the mom got in hot water? Did you feel the tides turn at about the 30-minute mark? Ah, man, it was just a dripping realization that I hadn't given enough credit where credit was due after I got to the ending. Yeah, this film was pretty short on dry humor. (laughs) Okay, I give up. Cut, cut.